so to, to really open this up on the show, uh, we'd like to ask some kind of question, just get something fun out there. So I tried to think of one today, and, and I was looking around at some of my art supplies, and this is my first thought that I, I don't know that I've ever asked anybody this on the show, but uh, I certainly, when I was a kid, had, I loved coloring, I loved Crayola colors and stuff, and I had a favorite color, which is not my favorite color now. My favorite color now is probably like dark blue, um, but at the time, specifically the, the Crayola brick red was my my go-to color. If I had any color crayon, that would be the one I'd go for. Really? I know. Brick red? I honestly drew a lot of brick walls when I was a kid. I I, was, <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know if I want to be a stand-up comedian. Or Maybe you cool. wanted to be like a graffiti artist and you were oh. just trying to get your like palette ready. You but know? I didn't know how to do the graffiti. I just knew how to do the wall. <laughs> I don't know. Is this graffiti? I don't, I don't understand this concept. I so, misunderstood the assignment. Yeah, so it became like my favorite color for, for like default. I don't know. I could draw like a brick wall really well. Like, you know, no. like where it looks okay. like the bricks are falling down and everything. So anyway, I realized it was my favorite color. I don't know if people had a favorite color crayon as a kid. So uh, I was wondering for you guys, uh, Tilly, did you have a uh, favorite color crayon as a kid? That's actually a really interesting uh, little story because I have always been really fond of fuchsia. And I was told as a kid that I wasn't allowed to like it because my parents right. thought I was a boy and boys can't like pink. That's unacceptable. And so I had this weird thing where my whole life I felt like I loved that color, but I could never explore it or or enjoy mm. things in that color. And so since transitioning, I've got fuchsia everything everywhere and it's really great. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's it's nice to finally be able to just like what you like and you know not care what other people think about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, matter of fact, I'm wearing a pink shirt right now, so yeah. I, I totally understand that. You look that. great in pink, too, man. <laughs> well, thank mm -hmm. you. Go on at girth, please. <laughs> I, I, as, as much as you can. Um, I had to I had to Google fuchsia because I was like, I am like familiar with it. Right, but right. For some too. reason, I thought it was like a, a purplish color. I guess I was thinking like, like a pair purplish of pink. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah, yeah. in between the, the two. It has a warmer hue than uh, what I was thinking in my head, but it is a nice color. It's very striking, very striking. Um, and that kind of brings me to one of my questions for you as well tilly is like uh for the trans flag how come no one ever talks about how awesome it is because it's like a, a wonderful shade of blue a wonderful shade of pink and then like that that white in between it just looks fucking great it Ma is a good matter of fact flag. it's it kind of <laughs> reflects what i'm wearing today yeah you're I'm, you're in the trans colors today cool, it's very yeah. nice there we go there we go um yeah it's like it's so fucking nice to look at so pleasant uh you know, I don't, I'm not trying to get canceled uh, by America, but the American flag, maybe we need to spruce up those colors a little bit, you know? That that navy, I'm kind of kind of over navy cool a it? little bit, you know? Yeah, you know. But uh, trans flag, uh, uh, 11 out of 10. Love those colors. Uh, Tilly, do you gravitate toward those colors at all? Um, Not especially. I mean, I like them. Yeah. I'm not, like, overly fond of them, but I do like the flag, and uh, I also kind of felt a little bit like I lucked out when I came out because I really like the trans flag and I really like the uh, lesbian pride flag. And there are a lot of other pride flags mm. that I'm not that fond of, but I like both of those and they both apply to me. So I, I just got lucky. It was luck of the draw. You got the good flags. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I wonder. So we're we've been redoing our front flower beds and our lights in front of our house and stuff. And we have um, already attached to our house. We have like one of the flag like holders to put a pole and, and hang a flag. And my wife was like, can we just get rid of that? Like, she doesn't like how it looks on the column. It just looks ugly. And we don't really hang a flag ever because we're not super patriotic right now uh, for the last few years in our country. And, and uh, 
I I've thought about it. And I was like, I really kind of if I put a flag up, it'd be like the rainbow flag, it'd be like the pride flag uh, just for support. And I was like, I really in deep, deep red Texas. My neighbors don't also they also have the American flag everywhere, but then they they also have the thin blue line flags and there's yeah. like a thin red line flag. I don't understand. But uh, essentially to me, they're like militarized flags. Yeah. And uh, I almost even for me, I uh, a straight white cisgender male. I don't feel like safe enough in my neighborhood kind of to put that up. But I would love to because I love the rainbow flag. It's way better than what they're hanging mm-hmm. up around my neighborhood, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, especially like we just watched E.T. and E.T. just that his spaceship just jettisons out a pride yeah. flag in the sky. <laughs> That's it's <awesome>. great. You <laughs> know? <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? I just like E.T. I just watched this movie. It's, it's, it's no great. Deal. I got to put a flag up for it. Brent, so um, woke. Uh, Stephen, go back to your original question that I dodged. Uh, talked about crayon colors. Right, right. Uh, being uh when we were younger uh i don't know that i had a, a like a specific crayon that i gravitated toward though uh one of my friends he had a box of crayons that he brought and it had like new shades of colors that i'd never heard of and i was like oh my god they invented new colors it's probably just like <laughs> oh this orange is just a different name or whatever right but uh the orange in his box of crayons was called neon carrot and i thought oh shit oh. we can just like come up with whatever the fuck we want for colors you know <laughs> I do love color names. Yeah, they're pretty great. Mm -hmm. Like uh, paint color names and stuff for like a house. That's we we definitely use that to choose. It's like there are two shades for our house and one is cold, something cool, like Mm -hmm. storm, like anger storm. I'm like, oh, man, I really need anger storm. But this other (laughs) one's just called light gray. And I'm like, I'm definitely (laughs) choosing anger storm, you know, (laughs) something like that. There's like light gray spelled uh, L-I-G-H-T, and then there's light, L-I-T-E, gray. And right. it's like, which one is which one is more me, I which, guess, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like the one that's spelled L-I-T-E has less calories, but I, mm. I don't know. I don't I trust know. it. It has fewer letters, but yeah. I'm not sure about the calories. So uh, yeah. that's fun, though. I, Neon Carrot is a great color name. It is, yeah. Great band name as well. I mean, it's pretty awesome. I wrote it for a title name, so we'll see how it goes for this okay. episode. <laughs> but uh, I think we're going to jump into it. So uh, we're doing it. I'm Steven. I'm Brent, and welcome to LTAS. Normally, that stands for Let's Talk About Stuff. Today, it stands for Let Tilly Acquire Sales. We've got returning <laughs> guest Tilly Bridges on the podcast, and wow. uh, she is in the process of releasing a book. And uh, Tilly, uh, number one, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, number two, can you tell us about the book that you're planning to release? Yeah, it's a book uh, on the trans allegories of the Matrix films. Uh, They began as uh, essays that I wrote on social media that um, sort of ballooned up into covering the entire franchise once I discovered how much it really had to say about the trans experience. It's an exploration of what this franchise has to say about being trans in this world and what that means. And it has a lot to say about and for cis people as well. And um, they're just really, really remarkable uh films that that say so much more than i think a lot of people realize and so um it's just you know about getting getting the word out there about that i because i think it's important especially now um in the climate that we're in politically um to help increase understanding about what it means to be trans and what it doesn't mean and why our society is the way it is and how we got here and um i think i hope that the book helps uh people understand that a little bit better oh yeah absolutely and what's the name of your book it's called begin transmission the trans allegories of the matrix perfect 
Thank you. And we'll have a link to that. And it's on uh, Amazon for pre-order as well. It's available for pre-order everywhere right now. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore, anywhere you want. Uh, It's in paperback and hardcover and uh, digital. And there will be an audiobook coming, although I do not know exactly when yet. Cool. Perfect. I think last time, either on air or off air, we discussed that. Are you planning to read the audiobook or are you having like an, an actor? I, I wasn't planning to do it myself at first because I've been in um, voice therapy. Well, I was in voice therapy for like two years and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm not in it anymore, but I still have daily practice that I have to do. And I wasn't sure that I had the stamina that I could record mm-hmm. the entire book because it's, it really tires out my throat um, speaking mm-hmm. in the ways that I have learned. Um, but I, that has increased over time as as it is supposed to happen. And so now I think that I probably can as long as I do it in little chunks and don't just try to go through, you know, 10,000 words at a time. So um, sure. I'm going to try to record cool. it myself and we'll Perfect. see how that goes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to say, if not, maybe you can rope Keanu into recording <laughs> for you. Be like, hey. Yeah, I don't think I could afford him. <laughs> He seems like a good he's dude. He's pretty good you know? dude. He's yeah, a good he, dude, he, he but might. you know, yeah. he, he has his own rates and that he deserves, and I cannot pay. He those. does, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, this is all about getting people paid, and I guess having Keanu do it for free wouldn't be the exact same spirit, but uh, it'd be really cool. <laughs> it would uh, be, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's neat. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Can you put a, a a cover blurb on it that says just like "whoa" and then dash Keanu Reeves? <laughs> that could sell some books. Uh, it, well, unfortunately, the it, uh, the cover's already locked, but that would have mm, been a uh, great idea because it would be okay. true that he did say that, just not necessarily about my book. <laughs> yeah, it's, we don't know. We don't we know. Don't, it, it, you know. Someone could have told him context. about it, and he might have said that. It's it's possible. Absolutely possible. Absolutely. That's pretty great. I like uh, <laughs> I like any time you can use Keanu's woe in a good way. So uh, and I think he's he likes that as well. So um, so another another thing I wanted to get to today is just to get to know you a little bit again till the last episode when we had you on. We had sort of a, a little questionnaire we had for new list or new guests on the show so we can get to know them. Uh, so quickly, I wanted to re- revisit those that you had said. So your favorite Avenger, you said Miss uh, Miss Marvel or the new Black Widow, Yelena. Favorite Jedi, Ray. Uh, favorite Ninja Turtle, Michelangelo. Favorite Spider-Man actor, Tom Holland. Uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne actors, Ben Affleck, Batman, and then Gotham's young Bruce David Mazus. Uh, Superman was my favorite because that's we realized you didn't really like Batman that much, but Superman is is amazing to you, and, and Superman is amazing. So uh, you had said Christopher Reeves is perfect. Uh, Reeves is perfect. Um, you like Henry Cavill. Um, and then Mario as Sonic, you said Mario, big Nintendo girl, and uh-huh. Chips Ahoy versus Oreo, you said Trader Joe's JoJo's knockoff for Oreos, which <laughs> yeah. I still have not gotten. I need to get out there and get those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are always fun to get to know people. I wanted to ask a, a few more today if that's all right with you so Absolutely. we could just uh, have some fun in the beginning here. So because you said that you're such a Superman fan, I yeah. was curious if you had a su- favorite Superman power. Um, hmm. Well, I've always been partial to flight, although a lot of a lot of characters have that power. You know, he doesn't have a lot of powers that are just unique to him, but he had most of them first. So, um, mm-hmm. but um, I like that. yeah, but no, as hokey as it may sound, uh, my my favorite, I guess, quote unquote power of his is his compassion. And that's why I love him the most, mm. because he's like the kindest, most care, caring character out there. And that's why I love him. It's not his powers that draw me to him. It's it's who he is as a person and the way he cares about people. 
he's fictional, but you know, I, I admire it. So <laughs> you don't really get that a whole lot in a lot of uh, modern, I was gonna say modern pop culture, but a lot of pop culture in general, just those good dudes, just the, the, the nice people, the compassion, um, a lot of other heroes, even if the, like Iron Man, I really like Iron Man and the Avengers movies and stuff, but mm-hmm. he's far from compassionate for most of the time. At least he's, he's very in his own head. So. Yeah. He's kind of a dick. Superman definitely I like him that. too, yeah. but yeah, but he's kind of a dick. <laughs> we so. could say <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, all right. So the next one was, uh, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. Oh, definitely Star Wars. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I, I, I've never really been able to get into Lord of the Rings. I like fantasy. I really liked The Hobbit when I read it, but mm. I could never mm-hmm. get into the books. I, I just didn't really get into the movies. I don't know. They're just not quite my vibe. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, at the end of the last episode that you did with us, you had also mentioned that you like Star Trek as oh, well. Yeah. So you you like do, do you prefer uh, Trek over Wars or uh, how do you feel um, about those? I believe that that is a false choice and people can like them both. And I do. Ooh. But if I had to choose, I would pick Star Trek first because that one is more in it's more in my heart, that show and all of those mm. shows. And again, mm. they kind of it's kind of for the same reason um, as Superman is because they're about uh inclusion and acceptance mm. and learning how to get along with people who are different than you and they're hopeful and they they you know show this hopeful possible future utopia uh, and it's not all dark and cynical all the time so um it, i i love it a lot for that i agree with that yeah are you excited for the new uh, star wars ray movie that they announced oh yes very much so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was very excited to see that I feel like uh, Stephen and I and some of our, our friends who've guested on this podcast uh, are in, I guess, the minority of people who like the sequel movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they announced that, we were we were both kind of amped about that. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was wondering, because, yeah, you said your last time you'd said your favorite Jedi was Rey. Yeah. Uh, and you said something about, like, you know, that the sequels are kind of controversial with people. But are, do you, are you a fan of the sequel trilogy? I am, uh, as a whole. I have... Um mixed opinions about some of them i i think that they're good i enjoy them um i think that they are unfairly maligned by a lot of people who have really really unfair expectations for what they want star wars to be and i think the same thing sort of happened with the prequels which a lot of people uh don't like or or have uh, valid criticisms of but if you talk to the the kids who saw the prequels before the originals mm. they grew up with those movies they adore them they adore them all the way through the way that people who grew up with the original trilogy did. And so I think that there's some sort of, uh, you know, things are always better in your own head than anybody could realize. And so when you grew up with the original trilogy, you have all these expectations about what the universe might've been like before or after that. And when those movies, no matter what they were, they could never live up to that. They were gonna be different Mm -hmm. from whatever was in your head. And for a lot of people, I think that causes this dissonance you know and they're like well that's not what i wanted it to be well okay but you have to judge it on what it is you know so Mm. it's it's i don't know it's it's uh, star wars fans are very strange that way they're they're very particular (laughs) about things Uh, yes angry i've noticed that yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's uh it's interesting going back to what you're saying with uh star trek versus star wars i also kind of feel that way i i grew up more with star wars i like star trek um, I would say I'm more of a Star Wars kind of person, but mm-hmm. uh, I love that Star Trek is so optimistic and it shows this hopeful future of what things could be. And it, it's a nice thing to to watch and not 
have it be so dark all the time. Yeah. And I, I knew that, but uh, the other day I was watching a video online and they were talking about um, the X-Wings. They were like going to see like the original X-Wings and uh, like a model of it. And I was, and they were talking about it and they were like, yeah, this is the dystopian universe, whereas Star Trek is the utopian. And I'd never heard anybody put those two words next to each other to describe those two properties. And I was yeah. like, wow, it is 100% dystopian throughout that whole, like even the, the New Republic and the good things are still like so bad. Everything's bad in the Star Wars universe. Everybody's struggling all the time. And Star Trek has this just nice, hopeful quality to it that I really love. So well, it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting because, you know, Star Trek uh, is not without its own uh, troubles, like showing a lot of societal ills. And, and so I appreciate it for that. But one of the things that I love the most about Star Wars is that the entire franchise is so strongly anti-fascist, right? It's, it was created mm. to be about this is look at this. is like World War Two. These are Nazis. These are literal space Nazis we're fighting. So um, <laughs> I, I've always loved it for that because it's very much about about, uh, you know, diverse people coming together to overcome a, a fascist empire. So uh, it's got a lot going for it there. That's a, yeah. yeah, good I'm, point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just hopeful that the new movie has more Babu Frick in it. Um, the champion of that ninth movie. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Babu Frick, but I think that that kind of uh, that species of character, I guess, has been in the Mandalorian. Lately. Yeah, they were. Uh, there were several of them in, in this most recent season oh. and they were the best part of it. I love them. So much. I love every time they show up. Yeah, it's so funny. Brett, have you caught up with that at all? I, I haven't watched any of uh, the the newest season okay. of men i'm woefully behind on many things right, right. Uh, and yeah i just there's a lot yeah. out there to catch up on yeah there's so uh, much but so yeah much. if you want some bobby frick you should watch it because it's not him but it is that same kind of character and they are all so funny together so yeah uh, it's uh bubba frick it's the hillbilly cousin of babu frick <laughs> yeah they watch yeah. a lot of okay uh some other questions um tilly what did you have a favorite cartoon as a child i think I was always really into Thundercats, but I also really okay. liked Jem. Uh, Jem uh, Je- oh, yeah. was fun because it was uh, I wasn't allowed again to like or watch girl things. But where mm. I lived, Jem was in like a rotation with like two or three other shows. And so if I just watched that, it, it happened to come on one morning. It wasn't my <laughs> fault. It was on the TV. I was here to watch whatever the other show was. So, yeah, I was a big fan of both of those. I feel like I just maybe like 10 years ago, I heard of Jim and the holograms. Yeah. And I know that's something that that was around in the 80s, yep. I think. Yeah. Is that right? Um, there was a, uh, uh, I think it was published through IDW. Uh, yeah. Sophie Campbell uh, drew a Jim and the holograms comic. And I love her art. So I, I checked it out. And like in the back, it had like a, a list of like the the creators being into the series from back in the day. I'm like, I don't know how I made it, you know, 30 plus years at that time into my <laughs> life without hearing from this show that seems to have a massive fan base. It was some like weird blind spot in mm-hmm. pop culture mm-hmm. that just like escaped me. I'd never heard of it, but it was cool. It was like a, a battle of the bands type of scenario. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I liked it. Yeah. People should just like what they like, right? Exactly. Like I, I saw that trailer for the for the new Barbie movie. That looks fun as shit. It really does. I'm right, in for yeah. that. Yeah. My uh my wife is a huge Jim and the Holograms fan, and that's how I heard about it. I also what? grew up uh yeah. Did you not know that? So I, I had to deal with your wife uh <laughs> proselytizing to me about Banicula. 
And we could have been talking about Jim and the holograms this whole time. Next Holy time, shit. You, should, you should try to transition into it. She loves it. Uh, but I didn't yeah. know about it until she told me about it as adults. Like, we we knew each other as teenagers even, but at that time, you know, it wasn't around. She didn't care. Then uh, there was mm-hmm. a movie they made a few years ago that didn't seem to do very well. Um, they tried to, like, modernize it or whatever. But So even she hasn't seen it, even though she's a huge fan. But uh, that's a good call. Mm-hmm. I also just barely missed Thundercats. My, my brothers were super into that, but... I feel like I skipped that. I went straight into Ninja Turtles or something. Oh, yeah, and, I love Ninja uh, but, Turtles, too. Okay, awesome. So mm-hmm. the that era of cartoons is so great, though, but I've seen, like, the Thundercats, you know, uh, animation and, like, the opening and stuff, and it looks awesome. Like, it looks right mm-hmm. up my alley. I just I just didn't see it as a kid, so it doesn't have that nostalgia for me. Yeah. Ooh, here's a here's a question for you, Tilly. So uh, on the the previous episode you did with us, you had mentioned that Michelangelo is your favorite turtle. Mm-hmm. Is that still accurate? Yes, yes. Uh, did you have uh, Ninja Turtle toys when you were growing up? Um, my brothers did. I didn't really have a lot of them. My mine were mostly I oh. had Star Wars and uh, I had a lot of Star Wars stuff. Um, but oh, yeah, my brothers okay. had a lot of a lot of the the Ninja Turtles toys. They had characters I didn't even remember. <laughs> like they made a toy of this guy. Who is <laughs> yeah. he? I don't know. Okay. You don't remember Mutagen Man? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, I, I was just wondering if... Uh, Steven, you had turtle toys, right? I had a few, yeah. None of the big stuff. I always wanted that, but uh, I definitely had a few hanging around. And your favorite is Leo. Mm-hmm. What, do you know if that was your, your first turtle figure that oh, you received? Man. I feel like I can remember playing with one. Like, I have this weird memory that popped up mm-hmm. when you said that, but um, I don't know. I feel like I might have had a set of them, just the four, mm-hmm. and maybe, like, Splinter or something um okay and i don't remember yeah i i always i also liked michelangelo a lot um so i th- i liked those two but i don't remember yeah i don't have specific memories of it what about interesting you? i'm uh i'm a big Raphael guy like he's always been my favorite uh but he was also the first <clears throat> figure i ever had mm. so it's like oh maybe i'm just like a lifer because by happenstance that's the one that my parent got for me for christmas one year or some shit you know so i i don't know i feel like Raphael, if he were to grow up and become a politician it's like you know 50 50 shot that he becomes problematic so i'm just like eh, i don't know maybe i should reevaluate my my turtle preferences but uh middle-aged I don't know. Mutant ninja turtles <laughs> yeah they all got jobs there's one's a cpa and uh-huh yeah you know that's Sounds a good point great. about the toys though because i was always a really huge uh transformers fan too but for whatever mm. reason oh. i never got transformers i only got GoBots, which i was mad about for my entire life they're so lame <laughs> but um comparatively especially but i did get one right. transformer and i can't remember its name but it was like um it was like a train that turned into a space shuttle that turned into a robot it was what? a decepticon i can't remember his name but he, so i saw him on one episode and then he was my favorite right because i was like i had that one it was the only one i wow. ever had yeah all right <laughs> oh my god I it, really, it turns into three things. Yeah, I'm so, yeah. I could never I'm so actually like, figure out how to up. transform it. It was always in some uh, <laughs> abomination of nature state, halfway between all three. I couldn't. It was too hard. Oh my god! Uh, I'm a planet and a, part train, and also I have a leg. I don't know what yeah. to tell you, dude. <laughs> There's one called Astro Train. That that might have been it. Astro. Yeah, is that it? But the train could oh, fly. My. Yeah, that was it. Wow, that looks so cool. It's like I'm trying to pull up a picture. I don't know if you could see this. There's like is the. It? The space, oh. the space shuttle version, and yeah. then they have another one. Oh, I think there's an ice cream man outside my house if you guys are picking that up on the speaker. Uh, <laughs> oh, and then there's the train version. 
Oh, so it's just like upside down. <laughs> it might be on this one. Uh, but yeah, that's super yeah. cool. I didn't know about that. I, I also like knew about the Transformers. My brother's been to that too, but I never had those mm-hmm. toys. But that seems like the coolest toy you could possibly have in that era, especially like it, it's multiple toys in one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Sure. That's the coolest thing. Oh, man. I, I awesome. loved the ones that could turn into animals. Like that was like their main oh, thing instead of like vehicles are you excited or whatever. For the like, oh my god! Like this the new Beast movie, War, we got Optimus yeah, yeah, Primal yeah. back. Oh my god, he's a gorilla man. I love it. I love it. I just we forget the vehicles. So, I, I have a car. I I don't have a gorilla. It's not know? cool. I, I'm so cool out of that. Those movies. Uh, I think the last one I saw mm-hmm. was the third one. Was that Dark of the Moon? Was that the third one? Whatever that one was. I, I, I haven't seen any of the Mark Wahlberg yeah. versions. Um, mm-hmm. so it's been a long time. So the new one, I was just kind of like, Meh. but, uh, I would see it with you, Brent, mm-hmm. you know, just for, to see that light, that childhood light yeah. in your eyes once again would be nice. Oh seen, my God. Uh, the Bumblebee movie, because that one is sort of like a soft reboot of the franchise and it's really, really good. It's probably the best live action yeah. Transformers movie. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Tons of heart to yeah. it. You know, I, I just, I loved it. I'm totally Brent in agreement that. with you. And then I guess yeah. this new movie is, I, I guess, like, technically a sequel to Bumblebee, from what I understand. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. That helps. <laughs> that yeah. that would help. Uh, I still haven't seen Bumblebee. I was kind of waiting for you, Brent, to because you told me that was so good, but mm-hmm. I hadn't seen any of the new Transformers stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, what's... Uh, Haley Steinfeld isn't that one, right? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. she's, the, she's the main. Um, yeah, she seems pretty great. Um, all right, I have a few mm-hmm. more questions, and uh, we, can, we can move on. So, um, would Tilly, would you rather go to a zoo or an aquarium? I'd rather go to a zoo. I've never been a giant fan of undersea stuff. I mean, it's cool, and, like, squids and octopuses are really awesome, but I, I don't enjoy aquariums as much, although mm-hmm. in the aquariums, at least, you know, the animals there don't really know that they're in an aquarium, whereas in a zoo, their habitat has been... <laughs> horribly shrunken mm. and it's really not That's super great for sad. them so you yeah, know there's there's plus yeah. and minuses to both <laughs> mm-hmm. i just imagine <laughs> going to the fish and then be like they have no idea and i'm like i could feel better about this that's true that's kind of yeah, true they don't yeah. know they don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're like the ocean's just idiots. not as big whatever <laughs> I remember, uh, you know, like back in the day, you take these uh, field trips with your your class or whatever in school. Uh, one year we went to the zoo here in Tulsa and they just built a new uh, primate exhibit. So they, they have the the chimpanzees in this new exhibit. And we were all looking at that. And uh, they have this like thick ass glass that you look through. But, you know, the, the chimp is essentially right there in front of you. And as soon as we walked in there, this chimpanzee just started furiously masturbating. And we were all like dying <laughs> laughing. And the teacher was trying to wrangle us away and whatnot. It's just like, you brought us here, man. We're here to see this, you know. So I don't know if we ever finished, but we uh, we we also yes. learned that they uh, fish out um, ants from a tunnel using a stick. I don't know. That's was that related they, to the masturbation episode? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher's got a lot of explaining to do. Yeah. There's something called sounding. It's when you stick. You know what? Well, just look it up on the Internet 30 years from now. You'll be fine. So but, amazing. Uh, so yeah. zoo. Got it. Uh, sure. and, no, and no masturbation. Um, OK, well, last question. Uh, Tilly, would you rather have a night out at a fancy restaurant or a night in at home? Oh, definitely a night in at home. I mean, that's yeah. mostly what we have these days, sadly. But um I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fancy restaurant gal. I don't really care much for that. I'd rather have like a burger and fries, you know? So yeah, mm-hmm. let me pick up some in and out and come home and watch movies with my wife and I'd be super happy. That's all I need. 
That's awesome. That's exactly what I like. And <laughs> I, every once in a while going out is kind of nice. But honestly, I never look forward to it. And I just can't wait till I can get home and get into comfy clothes and watch movies. Well, so. Stephen, you considered going out just like pulling through the the drive through at Wendy's. That's and a then lot. You're like, <laughs> you just talk to people, right? It's ridiculous. That's a lot of work. I don't know if you guys have done that. It's yeah. bad. I don't care for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Order everything online. Uh, yeah. All right, that was fun. I uh, I just really like I don't know getting to know people. That's uh, silly pop culture things. I, I feel in general, um, I have a thing a little bit later about the Matrix and how it you know pop culture can help people understand things or, or yeah. reach concepts or whatever. But uh, in general too, I just feel like it it helps get to know people and and you kind of make connections from childhood things or uh, things that you like and and whatever. So uh, thanks for participating. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven, I, you know, you and I talked off air that we both went back and re-listened to the episode that we had uh, Tilly on previously. And I, you know, I like to joke around and say it was a wonderful interview between Steven and Tilly, and I was also there. So I thought, you know what, I should probably step up my game a little bit this time and and come up with some questions of my own. So, uh, Steven, feel free to take notes here. Okay, yeah, you got it, you got it. Uh, Tilly... Uh, have you ever heard a funny trans joke? Does that even exist? Because it seems like most of the time, if not every time, they're just offensive. There are lots of funny trans jokes, but they're the ones being told by trans people. You can tell funny jokes mm-hmm. about transness that don't punch down at trans people. So if you want to find good jokes about transness, yeah, just look up trans comedians because there's a whole bunch of them and uh, they tell some really, really funny stuff. Is it something to where you have to be like deep in the culture or are they? Uh... No, no, not usually. They're, they're, okay. they're the, the ones I've seen are, are they're targeted. It's like a, a regular stand up set to your regular stand up audience, you know, which is might may have some trans people in it, but will probably be largely cis. So it, they're they're generally things that, you know, they're about the culture and the way people treat us and weird things that happen when you're trans that don't happen when you're cis that you might not realize. And so there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. I wish I had a name uh, to tell you of somebody to look up, but I, I'm blanking on it right now. I will say I tried to look some up because there's one there was I saw a lot of stand up comedians on YouTube and yeah. there was one that was trans. Uh, I saw a few months ago and she was hilarious and I can't find her, but I was trying to look it up and I found uh, out.com has a list of 11 trans comedians who are way funnier than Dave Chappelle. So I specifically <laughs> like there you go. that framing of it. Check those out. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of of good ones out there. There's access to it, at the very least. Um, Next question. Is dude okay to say? Uh, Because I use that word as a term of endearment for people of all genders. Like, sometimes I'll call my wife dude. Yes, even in the throes of rage when we get into (laughs) an argument almost multiple times a day. Uh, How do you feel about the word dude? Well, let me ask you this. Yes. How many dudes have you slept with? Uh, Including my wife. But see, would you call them dudes? That's sort of the illustration of of the point is that a lot of people, especially like even here in California, where it is very much used as a gender neutral term, but the word itself Mm -hmm. is not gender neutral. If you ask most of those guys, okay, how many dudes have you slept with? They instantly blank because they're not going to say they slept with the dude because they're, you know, homophobic or what Mm -hmm. have you. And that, that gets them, clues them into the fact that it is a very heavily gendered word. And for, um, I mean, every trans person is different. There are some who are going to be okay with it. I generally do not like it. And I know a lot of other trans women who don't. And it's because we spent our entire lives being 
forced to be associated with that word. And we don't want to be because it brings up bad feelings. It makes us feel bad. It makes us wonder if maybe you think that you don't actually see us as women. You see us as men uh, in dresses or whatever that, you know, horrible transphobic refrain is. Like, it's the same thing with if somebody came up to me and said, hey, man, and I'd be like, what are you doing? I'm not I'm not a man. Don't do that. So um, I think the easiest way, if you're wondering about that, is to just ask, because every trans person is going to be different, and some might be okay with it, and some aren't, and nobody will ever be mad with you for asking, So because then you're showing that you care, and you don't want to inadvertently hurt somebody. So as long as you're asking, um, we're happy. That's why also uh, that applies to pronouns. A lot of people are like, well, what if I don't know what their pronouns are? Just ask. They'll be happy that you want to get it right, and you know that shows that you're concerned. Mm -hmm. So that's... That's my complicated stance on it. <laughs> Not complicated at all. You know, it's, it seems very straightforward. So uh, yeah. thank you for answering that. Um, next question. Uh, Superman comes into the public domain in 2034. Ooh. Do you have your story ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> I could tell Superman stories until the end of time and never run out of any. So I'm sure that I mm -hmm. will. Although the interesting thing is that the only thing I think that hits the public domain when he does is anything that was in Action Comics number one. So you get Superman, right. you get Clark Kent, you get Lois Lane. That's it. Lex Luthor didn't mm -hmm. appear till later. Jimmy Olsen mm. didn't appear till later. The Daily Planet wasn't even there. It was called the Daily Star at first. And so it's for people who who are able to or want to tell those stories when it is public domain, if it does happen and DC doesn't get the laws changed like Disney has done. Uh it's going to be a very different experience because a lot of what you've come to associate with the mythology will not be part of it. So um, it'll be very right. interesting to see what happens. Mm -hmm. I know I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating what goes down then because Superman couldn't fly in that first issue either. Right. right? He, he just was just uh, leaping tall buildings That's right. in a single bound. Yeah. So all of the other villains and everything too. I mean, they all came later. He didn't have super villains at the beginning. He was, you know, uh, fighting police corruption and beating up wife beaters. So that's, uh, he <laughs> was. That that's literally what he was doing. Um, so he was very social justice-y, which is great. Right. Um, but yeah, it'll be a very different uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And he, he had a, a different version of the S on his chest. It has like a black background. Yeah, it's and, a little triangle. Uh, yeah, yeah, very specific. Yeah. Uh, well, the actual um, like S shield is trademarked. I think by DC mm. now, so you wouldn't be able to use that anyway. Probably not even the original triangle version. I don't know. Um, so yeah, mm. it's. It, I don't know. It, it'll be wild to see what happens. I know a lot of the uh, like you had mentioned the uh, the Daily Planet and Perry White, mm -hmm. Jimmy Olsen. A lot of those characters came from the radio show yeah. back in the day. Kryptonite, Kryptonite as came well. From the radio show, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I know Batman is in the public domain the year after, and I think Wonder Woman two, three years after that. So, um, yeah, it'll be crazy. And Mickey Mouse, uh, I think the same year as Superman. So, so definitely you're saying by like 2040, we're going to have like a Jorstice league of, <laughs> of these people that like don't have their full powers and costumes, but like we're going to have like Jorstice league blood and honey. You know, like. It's funny that you said that about um, Mickey, because the very first Mickey, the steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse is public domain now, but only that one version oh. of him. So um, he has to be black and white and have that hat or whatever mm. and the steamboat Willie mm. Mickey. But that one is public domain now, I think, or else it's oh, really, really okay. soon. That's the one that's or happening. Soon, yeah. One of them. Either already did or it will be really soon. The first one. Yeah. 
yeah, I've been hearing about that lately. Uh, it's interesting as those come up. Um, I'm I'm of the sense that like everybody should be paid for their creations, but there's a there's a limit. And a, a much like you give up your art to, you know, the rest of the people to consume and, and, and engage with, eventually you have to give up the rights of it. So uh, I like that these things are in our lifetime are going to be up in some form. Uh, it'd be interesting because we've we've all grown up, obviously, with them just being copyrighted. And that's that's great and everything. But uh, eventually I just like that everything kind of gets free, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the limit now is something like 90 years, and that's more than enough time for the creator to hopefully uh, make a living off of their creations and then for it to mm. move to public domain afterwards so that other people can, you know, do something with it, maybe. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think these yeah. things are just too, we all kind of uh, love them and, and and feel for them, and we all have stories or whatever. It'd be kind of fun to see more people try it out. Uh, uh, I don't know, by that time, we'll have so many properties out, just like there's just so much content now, and by that time, I imagine it'll be even worse, so... There should be a lot, lot going on, but I'm intrigued to see where it goes. One of my like greatest fears outside of being attacked by a velociraptor while I'm taking a shower mm-hmm. is to create something like some cartoon character or whatever, and then like conservatives get a hold of it, kind of like they did with Pepe the Frog, and then it becomes <laughs> a mascot for it. It's like no, it's just like a stoner frog. It's like no, no, it represents you know the MAGA sect. I'm like no, it really doesn't. You, you know? want that to happen with one of yours? I do not oh, want okay. that to happen. <laughs> No, I think you said no, you no, can't no, wait no. for you to do that, and they can take it, and, <laughs> and then you can get mad about it, you know. Yeah. Uh, going back real quick, I, I did finally, mm-hmm. on that same list, I had seen uh, Jay McBride is the first out trans comedian to perform at Madison Square Garden. So you can find her on YouTube. Damn. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. So, uh, But she was hilarious. I just stumbled upon her one day, so you can definitely check her out. So I want to make sure to throw it out there for people. What was the name again? Jay McBride. J-A-Y-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice yeah she's great um so uh tilly steven and i we uh we have a a pop culture podcast here and sometimes we like to do franchises uh he and i have discussed off air not doing harry potter and i wanted to get your thoughts on this i i understand that you're just one person uh so you're not the totality of the trans community but just uh, to to pick your brain a little bit uh are we able to do that franchise after uh that terrible turf is dead (laughs) <laughs> or no wow not the question i thought you were going to ask okay um me neither uh i guess i think like the biggest issue with it right now is that any kind of support for the franchise enables her mm-hmm. transphobia and her anti-semitism and puts more money in her pocket which she is actually using to hurt us right she has been quoted in legislation against us mm. that that has been written and passed and so she's doing real mm-hmm. active harm to the community. And so when you support her, you give her more money to do that. But I think that does change a little bit when the 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 creator of something is no longer alive. It depends on who's running their estate and what those people right. are doing mm-hmm. with any money that comes in. So it's always important to know what you're supporting what, by doing things or what you're enabling. Um, so you'd have to check into that. But I mean, it's like it's not without... It's not like you could never discuss it or mention that it exists, but you just have to know Mm -hmm. that when you do the message that's saying sending to other people, right? That's like I I've had this discussion with with friends even who keep posting, I went to um, you know, the Harry Potter uh world at at Universal Mm -hmm. Studios and they're posting all these pictures and all this merchandise, and it's coming across a trans person's feed. And it's like, so there's either two things going on. Either you don't know what jkr has been up to 
which is mm -hmm. understandable. Not everyone knows, or you don't care about how she's hurting us. And that's a message you're sending is that your fandom of her franchise is more important than the real world harm she's done to Jewish people and trans people. And so um, those people I try to educate and be like, hey, listen, you know, if you want to like it, it's fine. But when you put this stuff into our social media feeds or make force us to see you enjoying this stuff, that's painful. It's hurtful. It's harmful. It does real harm to all of society because you're saying, look, I can still celebrate this awful, awful person and give her money to hurt people with just because I like the things she made. And that's really not cool. And when somebody does that, you know, you have two options. You can be like, oh, crap, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And change or you can just not care about people right so it's i don't know it's it's like it's like mel gibson right he had that that mm. huge anti-semitic rant he went on he's really racist and they keep putting him in movies and people go see his movies and talk <laughs> yeah. about them and i'm like but mm. what are you saying to to the to jewish people and to black people you, that you're still going to see his stuff just despite all the harm he did i don't understand why you would do that Art is important and it is vital, but it is not more important than real human lives, right? So it's like, right? Yeah. All right, Stephen, uh, we need to take Daddy's Home Two off the schedule. <laughs> uh, I just, it, it just occurred to me. Wait, just I, for no reason. I did see this morning that he actually is directing a new movie, uh, Mel Gibson, and it's starring Mark Wahlberg, also a problematic past. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I, we had mentioned this either I don't know if it was on a podcast or with friends recently, but I brought that up because I, I do. I do separate the art from the artist sometimes, but what I've found more, more recently is just like, I just don't gravitate towards their stuff anymore. Like I used to love Braveheart. I watched Braveheart so much as a kid, but now I just, if I pass it by on, you know, a streaming platform, I'm just like, I don't really want to watch him anymore. Kevin Spacey's the same mm -hmm. way. I used to love Kevin Spacey's yeah. acting work, but I, I, it's really hard to watch him now. It is super, super cringy and just you feel icky, weird. I don't know. And yeah, sometimes I can separate him. But maybe you didn't see his YouTube video where he's like, <laughs> you want me back. Exactly. Like, that's so creepy. Yeah. But he, he came out so uh, in support of himself afterwards. Yeah. And I was just like really turned off by it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really hard mm -hmm. thing because like, like, as we discussed, I'm a really huge Superman fan, but Superman mm -hmm. Returns not only has Kevin Spacey in it, but it was directed mm. by Brian Singer, who is right. just as problematic, just as as uh, sure. awful. And so Predatory. that movie is so complex for me now. Like, I really like Brandon Routh. I think he, I, I met mm. him. I interviewed him about the movie. Mm. He's a really wow. nice, super sweet guy. I adore oh, him. Good to hear. And his I, I really liked his performance, but I like I can't go back to that movie. I just can't because right. I, mm. I mean, I have old copies that I've had for a while. So now watching them does not put any more money into Kevin Spacey mm -hmm. or Brian Singer's pockets. So I don't have to worry about that. But mm -hmm. now it's just about how I feel. And I'm like, I don't, it doesn't feel right to, I don't, I don't want to see them. I don't want to think about them. Right. They're terrible, horrible people. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Growing up, Brian Singer was one of my favorite directors. Cause yeah. He made X-Men right in my like I was like 15 years old. I was like, this is perfect. Like he did such a great job. And then you hear stuff about him and it's it, like at least X-Men. I, I, it's such a separate topic. It's already a thing I liked and I can really separate it from him. But even Superman Returns, like you said, like I haven't returned to that movie in a long time. Yeah. It's uh, it or is like, weird. Like um, even the usual suspects, right? Brian Singer and right. Kevin Spacey again. And that mm -hmm. is a really good movie. And oh, it's important to not so be good. like oh, these things are terrible, because then you're sort of implying that uh, 
there's inherent goodness in good art. Like good art can only be made by good people. And no, bad people mm. can be brilliant artists, but that doesn't make them good people. And it doesn't mean that if you find something bad, that it was made by bad people. You know, you can't make that association. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's important to realize that, yeah, there's there's good art. Usual Suspects is a really good movie, but it was key to two keely made by two really terrible people and so mm -hmm. it's important to always have that context you know it's it's also kind of like those people who are like those really old um racist uh warner brothers looney tunes cartoons right they're like what should <laughs> yeah. we do about these and the best thing to do is you can't pretend they didn't exist because then you're on you're you're mm -hmm. glossing over the harm that they did to those communities mm -hmm. so the best thing to do is is to provide context which i believe that they did with those they would put up a warning ahead of time saying right. these are presented as they originally were they contain racism and insensitive uh, depictions of uh, black people and other things like that um, but we're presenting them as it was because it is historically important to realize that these things did exist and did hurt people Right. So it's it's you always have mm -hmm. to you can't pull the context out of the art that you're consuming. I think it's always important to remember what that context is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know Disney took down Song of the South mm -hmm. off of Disney Plus or maybe they never I don't had think it, it was on ever there, up there. Yeah, it, they don't they don't mm. let that out of the vault ever. <laughs> that's crazy like i i remember growing up i had a uh like a, a a disney record that had a little like book that you would read along with it and it was it had brer rabbit yeah. in it and he came across the like tar baby or whatever i didn't know it was supposed to be a black person i thought it was just like a person made of tar i don't i've got a talking rabbit here i don't know what the <laughs> fuck is going on but um yeah i think it's weird to just like censor art altogether. Uh, but I, I definitely understand putting the context label oh, yeah. up in front of it, yeah. you know, but I uh, don't know. Brent, going back to our, our Harry mm -hmm. Potter uh, discussion here, here's my, mm -hmm. my goal, right? I don't know that you mm -hmm. and I are going to be alive or recording this podcast 90 years from now or, or 70 years from now, <laughs> whatever the, the copyright mm -hmm. is up for that. So what if we mm -hmm. recorded episodes now and released them after the copyright is done? see and then okay. so people in the future can get them but then when you play it it's just it's just that song from wizard of oz it's just ding dong the witch is dead over it's like oh, a loop. Okay. <laughs> you know? not to say that i really want her to die what i want what i would like for jk rowling would is just that she would change her mind and then yeah. become like a trans advocate right that would be that'd be great right. we can enjoy harry potter again it is weird that she has created this universe where there's like a magic talking hat but she can't make the <laughs> Make the leap to be like, oh, sometimes people just feel differently about. Yeah, it would it would fit yeah. so well there in that world to me, transness, uh, and mm. and it is it is it is there, like it's her creation. But like in any kind of world, there are trans people. Like you're not going away, you can't hide them. Yeah. So uh, mm -hmm. and that seems like the the perfect avenue. That would be like a great character, and I think it's so weird that she turned her back on that, and then you know it's really come in full force against it over and over again i thought i had heard that in that new harry potter game that came out one of the characters is trans yeah or maybe there's there is one to that they threw it in there as i think mm. as sort of a smoke screen because when you dig into it there have been articles written about this that um the head of the studio that made the game is also a giant uh bigot and mm. uh very much aligns with everything mm. jkr said and and I have not played the game. I don't know, but I've I've read that the um, the character is very minor, uh, inconsequential, and that it's mm. basically only there to be like, look, we put a trans person in. We can't hate <laughs> right. trans people, which is not how it uh, works. So yeah. yeah, interesting. I didn't know well, they did that. Um, 
that seems, yeah, just like, they're like, hey, just throw them a bone and like, let's stop thinking about it. We just want to make money. And uh, that's unfortunate because mm-hmm. it, yeah. it seems like the perfect property. I don't know that it'd, it'd be really cool to to see someone like that, but mm-hmm. is what it is. I guess we'll just have to wait for her to die. That's the only <laughs> only way around it. <laughs> um, Tilly, have you ever read any of the Matrix comics from Burly Man Press? Yes, I have the uh, hardcover collection. I have read them all. Ooh. Really? Okay. I just uh, bought them uh, recently, yeah. and I'm going through the first volume. And, uh, Stephen, it's like an anthology, okay. uh, the two volumes that I've got. And uh, it's like a, a lot of uh, popular comics creators. Yeah. Uh, I know Steve Scrochi is in there, who did some character designs for uh, uh, The Matrix, as well as uh, Jeff Darrow, uh, also a, a, a designer for the, the movies. Um, how do you feel about those? Do you feel like any of those stories reflect... Uh, the trans allegories that you've been writing about? Um, yeah, I went through them I, and it's been a while, so I don't remember like the specific titles mm-hmm. or creators at the moment, but it was like maybe half to two thirds of them also had really heavy trans themes in them. But again, uh, I don't believe any of the creators were. And on their part, it was probably unintentional. I think it's just because the world that they've set up and the allegories mm-hmm. that they put into the movies uh, are so strong that, and and so universal that they just sort of picked up on the same themes and talked about them. But some of them are really, really trans and hit really hard. For, I was posting uh, little photos of, of some panels and captions as I was going through and uh, trans people were just dying in my feed because they hadn't seen these. The books, the comics are kind of hard to find. And um, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they were just like, oh, my God, I have to get this. This is amazing. It, it's mm-hmm. like it was just like seeing the allegories in the movies for the first time. So, um, yeah, def- some mm-hmm. of them are definitely, definitely very, very transy. That's awesome. I've been trying to keep an eye toward that as I'm going through reading this collection uh, just to see what stands out to me or w- what I can pick up. Yeah. You know, um, I remember hearing about Burly Man. Uh, years ago, I guess it was like 20 years ago, whenever they started publishing books. And uh, Steve Scrochi had this one called Doc Frankenstein. It was like Frankenstein with uh, a gun or something like that. It was kind of kind of wild, but it was like fun to read. So uh, I I had never uh, read the Matrix ones. So it's pretty happy when I came across those recently. I didn't heard of those. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, I I gotta be honest. So I. I was feeling kind of good about myself as I was writing down some of these questions. I, I told Stephen off air. I'd spent about a, a month just kind of like jotting things down to ask you, Tilly. Uh, you know, as they would occur to me, like, oh, that might be a, a decent question to ask her or whatever. Uh, outside of the dude question, obviously, we all know that was wrong and I shouldn't have brought that up. No, it was a good thing to ask. That's how you learn these things. <laughs> it was a good question to ask. I, I, I'm also like that. Uh, I'm always just afraid that I'm going to, you know, say something bad or whatever. I think... Uh, Tilly, I had listened to your, uh, some of your podcast episodes, the yeah. Tilly's Trans Tuesdays, and um, you had mentioned something about that. It's like, it's it's the people that are concerned that they're going to do it wrong, that are the, they're the good people. If you don't think about it at all, you're the bad person. Right. And, uh, and, and the important yeah. thing to remember is that imperfect allyship is better than silence. So if as long there as you you're trying to support us, if you get something wrong... Don't get defensive or take it personally. Just listen and try to do better. And that's all that we ask, right? We just want your support and just to learn. Um, and that's how how you learn is like asking the dude question. I'm glad you asked that. That's, that's a really good thing to ask because it, exactly, it shows that you care and you're concerned and you want to get it right. And that's important. Right, exactly. That's what I said is like, <laughs> I, it's definitely good that I asked that question. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, but, but I was like, uh, you know, at this point in my notes app that I was like, oh man, I, I feel like I'm onto something here. So, I, you know, I got a little bit turnt, you know, Papa had a few drinks sure. and uh, I started writing things down and I don't really <laughs> know how this connects to anything, but I'm just going to ask you, uh, I've got two notes here that says clothing slash neckties. And I, I guess I wanted your thoughts on how you feel about clothing slash neckties. Maybe you said something on your podcast. Yeah, there's a whole episode Tilly's about Trans that. Tuesdays. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I wear neckties a lot for my, my day job. And I don't know. I, I feel like I think about clothing almost too much because I'm like, what is the purpose of a necktie? Is it just to hide the fact that I have buttons on my shirt? Is it supposed to be like a dirty secret or something? It's like, how'd you put that shirt on? Uh, certainly not buttons. I can tell you that this necktie blocks those. Um, so Tilly, do you have uh, thoughts on clothing slash neckties? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, Great. Yeah. Moving on. No, go yeah, ahead. No, Please. um, Clothing is 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 deeply personal for a lot of people. It was really weird for me for a long time. I hated clothes because I was, you know, forced into guy clothes and those do not align with who I am. And so they made me feel awful. Um, but the, the thing that that I was surprised to learn and when I was like doing research for that that episode of my podcast on clothes and how gendered they are is that um Almost all of men's fashion is the result of one dude who lived hundreds of years ago, right? Bo mm. Brummel, and he was mm -hmm. a big, big dick. It's okay to hate him. Um, but he was the <laughs> one who uh, decided that men's clothes could only be like black, gray, or blue, maybe sometimes brown if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And that has held for hundreds of years. And it has wow. it has uh, stifled men, I feel. Like, like, Brent, you have that your amazing trans color outfit on right now, trans flag colors outfit. Yes. And I love it. And it's mm -hmm. this pop of color and it shows personality and it's great. But so many men feel they can't do that because they're not allowed. You have to wear these drab, dark colors all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's part of how heavily gendered our clothing is from the pockets to why buttons mm -hmm. switch side between men's and women's clothes and, and everything in between. It's all about upholding gender binaries the 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 false strict gender binary of only men and only women and you can only be one way or the other and to be one of those you have to dress and act a certain way and all of that is bullshit of course so um anybody anytime anybody can break out of that and express themselves through their clothing uh i think that's a wonderful beautiful thing uh, clothing fashion is an art and you can use it to express yourself in beautiful ways I really try to go out of my way to find colorful clothes, mm -hmm. and I'm one of the the few male people at work that uh, wears colorful clothing because yeah, it's just like black, gray, uh, what some have termed heteronormative blue, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, all, all of those colors. <laughs> so uh, I I really try to wear a lot of like uh, as brightly colored clothing as I can, uh, almost to like the detriment of my wardrobe uh, closet because 
like I'll go out on shopping excursions with my wife from time to time and I'll pick up a shirt, like a, a dress shirt, you know, button dress shirt. And I'm like, oh man, I like the shade of pink. And she's like, you have like eight of those at home. And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, I do. Have, like most of my clothing is pink, you know, at this point. So, um, I, I do try to dress colorfully, but it's, it's, uh, I sometimes get locked into liking just one color at a certain point. So I, variety is the spice of life, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's hard too with men's clothes, right? It's hard to find mm-hmm. stuff in colors because most of the time it's just those same drab, dark colors. That I, when I was trying mm-hmm. to buy men's clothes and I thought I was a guy and trying to be that guy, it was impossible to find stuff really that had a lot of color in it that wasn't all super, super casual stuff, right? It, so it was... Right. It's, it's a tough thing and it's not, it's not really fair. You guys deserve better. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. We appreciate it. I, mm-hmm. uh, I have a rant. I didn't know Brent was gonna ask this question, but you just made me think of something. Uh, the other day I was at the grocery store and when I was driving away, a man walked by me in a kilt, a very, very nice kilt. And he just walked mm-hmm. in the store and I was like, damn, I could wear a kilt. You can <laughs> like, it sparks. I don't really care. Like you, you mentioned Tilly before either. On our show or one of yours, I can't remember what, uh, a few different times I think I've heard this kind of from you where, um, you know, you can, you you might as a, for, for us as like a cisgender male or whatever, might want to mm-hmm. see what like wearing a dress was like or like what does even thinking about that do to us? You know, does it yeah. make us feel like recoil because we've been told to not do that? And and I it, it sent me on this journey where I started thinking about things. I had talked about how I like my nails painted, but I don't really care for makeup when I've ever tried it. Like doesn't say my, my thing dresses don't really appeal to me but i had a kilt in high school i have some scottish ancestry and and i made one my, my girlfriend made one for me at the time and it was pretty awesome and when i saw that guy i was like wow i could do that though that seems mm-hmm. cool and i i do dress really drab and gray most of the time i like to kind of just blend into the background but uh but that guy really uh, i was like okay this this is something you know you should um <laughs> you may be interested in this there's a company called utility kilts and they're utility Ooh. kilts. So they've got like pockets and all kinds of there. I've, I've seen a lot of guys that are very big fans of them. Ooh, OK. Looked that up. Yeah, I'm going to spend some time on that website. <laughs> Brent, these are so cool. Uh, you should look these up. I'm going to put these. Uh, we'll send like a little a link with our thing on there. But um, OK, that it looks utility and a kilt. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. That's great. <laughs> You can put your hammer in there, a hoagie sandwich, you know, (laughs) all the things I usually carry around with me. Of course. (laughs) Very cool. Uh, So I I guess for my like final question, uh, and this is like when I was most drunk, I think I just wrote the word potatoes with a question mark after it. So I don't know what we're going to do with this one. Uh, Tilly, do you like potatoes? Do you have a favorite? I love potatoes. Do you? Do you have a favorite? Who doesn't yeah. love potatoes? No, not good people, I'll tell That's you right. that. Jake R. hates <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you have a, a preferred preparation for potatoes? No, I do not discriminate. I love them all. They can be mashed. Mm, they can be fried. Wonderful. They can be baked. It doesn't matter. They're all beautiful creations. If you eat a baked potato, are you eating the skin? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Hell yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's surprising. I'm a big proponent of not wasting food, so that just speaks to me on a cellular level. Love it. (laughs) When you do that, so I used to bake potatoes in a, like, wrap them in foil, just toss them in there. But then I learned a a different way from my various cooking things. And my way now is to put that, uh, put in olive oil, basically like rub olive oil over it, and then you sprinkle a lot of kosher salt on the outside. And uh, it kind of crisps up that skin, and I still 
don't really eat the skins though even after that it kind of infuses the whole thing a little saltiness so i like that but uh brent have you ever tried it that way well first of all when you said rub a little olive oil on it Mm -hmm. i just heard popeye get hard so that was kind of weird um but also uh what was your question i was so distracted (laughs) with my dog barking (laughs) you're so distracted making that joke up um yeah i guess so yeah have you ever had it do you when you eat so what i'm saying though i guess Mm -hmm. is that the way i make my baked potatoes i should be eating the skins but i don't uh if they are in foil i imagine they just they seem like soggier and just like there's no flavor i don't understand why you would eat it but is that how you're usually doing that Oh yeah, like I'm not picky at You're all. Not like picky at all. Uh, our our dogs have been having some tummy trouble, so our vet recommended we make a bland diet for them. And part of that is giving them baked potatoes. And as I was like mm. checking those today, I was like, oh, let me break off a part and give this to my dogs. And I was like, well, you got to pay the toll. So I took a bite <laughs> out of that like potato skin. I was like, this rules. I like this a lot. You don't even like the potato skins that you'd get as an appetizer I, at a restaurant. I do like that, but that's because they're crispier. It's like they're like double baked then. Mm-hmm. sort of sort of things so i think that's why i like them more but if i just have a baked potato i've never even thought to you just eat the, the skin and both of you are like yeah of course you would and i'm like yeah i got it yeah i would yeah <laughs> not weird at all not we're, at we're all. all very cool here <laughs> tell you do you have a favorite version of french fries nope they're all good oh all takers they're all good there's there's no such thing as a bad okay. fry well that's not true steak fries are awful they're the only bad potato. Yes. <laughs> Steak fries is too much potato. They're a crime against potatoes. It's terrible. <sighs> I agree. I agree. Um, one of the questions I had, a, a bigger topic, um, was obviously there is a, a big writer strike going on right now, and I'd wondered how that affects uh, Tilly and uh, you and your wife, Susan, with your work. Has that been affecting you? Um, it does somewhat. Uh, we are not in the WGA yet, but it has um, stopped us from uh, submitting to be uh, staffed on shows. It stopped us from pitching mm. to any of the struck companies, uh, which we would you know, be setting up meetings to do and stuff. So we're not doing any of that. Um, we are working in animation, which is not WGA at, uh, at the moment. It's covered by a different guild. Mm. But huh. then you also get into some sticky situations where... The show that wants to hire you is with the Animation Guild, but their hmm. show airs on Netflix, which is one of the struck companies. And so then you're like, got to figure hmm. out what to do. It's it's a sticky situation to navigate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, relating to the WGA strike mm-hmm. earlier today, and it sounds like if you are part of the WGA then you have, I, I guess maybe like once or twice a week, you're required to go protest for like four hours or whatever. And it just seems like such a coming together of like-minded people for a just cause that like, even though I'm not a part of it, I'm just like fully in support of it and be like, it's a, 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 a scant uh, several hour drive for me from Oklahoma to <laughs> California. But it's like, I guess if I got to fill in, you know, I'd be happy you to do, do it. just do it in Tulsa. But- just like show oh, yeah, up and just, just no just like random places you know just get yeah, the word just out. out sir this is an arby's <laughs> yeah. you can't be protesting out here we don't write shit you know exactly like, well i heard ving rames's voice i just assumed right. i'm sorry <laughs> yeah could be part of it yeah i was just curious obviously we're in support of the writers uh i remember the last writer strike i guess was like 2008 ish when it affected like so many shows and movies that yeah. i knew about and 
change things around. But at the end of the day, you know, you want you want those people to be paid. And so many industries now are just not being paid livable wages. And um, yeah. I'm not even sure the details of all of this. But when they said they might go on strike, I was like, yeah, you should. And then they did. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a part been, of it. So it's been really hard. Um, writers have been getting squeezed out of the process in television for a, a yeah. long time since that last strike. Um, like uh, pay residuals. The, the way it always worked mm. was you would get a fee for being on staff. You would get a fee for your script. And those were both predicated on that you would earn more money from the residuals every time your episode re-aired, right? So they, they're paying mm. you less now because you're going to get more in the future in perpetuity. And then they uh, systemically mm. cut down those payments. They have shrunken mm. the size of writers' rooms so that more writers can't get in to the industry. They're not letting writers go to set, so they're not going to learn how to be showrunners. And uh, streaming, which has become the biggest thing, pays almost no residuals. You can't live off mm. of it. There are people who have written and been staffed on three different shows, and they still can't afford to live because the cost in LA mm. is so high. And it's 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 awful. And it, this is all happening right as the industry started slightly, slightly, slightly getting more diverse voices in behind the scenes. Mm. And as soon as that happened, they stopped wanting to pay people. They st started shrinking the size of the rooms. And so it's it's tied up in all of that. And uh, it's it's a real mess. It's not, it used to be that like most Hollywood writers would have a decent middle-class living and that's not possible anymore. Writers go two years between jobs and they have to, you know, drive Lyft and Uber in between to pay the bills. and that's it's you can't write while you're doing that it's 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 mm -hmm. it's not become a livable career anymore and so um it's really important that that they're um striking now to they're, they're trying to fix things not just for themselves but for the people who come after which is like me and my wife uh for the that's first great. time we get staffed on a show or we sell our own show this is going to make it a livable thing for us we've been worried for years because as a team you get treated as if you're just a single writer. So you only get a single writer's paycheck, yeah. but you have to get double the hours to earn health insurance in the guild, which is is, is a nightmare. And we're living in, in LA where the cost of living is super high and we have a kid and like staff writers, even one of the things they're trying to fix in this strike, they don't get a script fee. Uh, and that's usually more. And plus with the, with the residuals, if you get them more than your base pay is and staff writers don't get those and that's where you have to start and we're not sure if one staff writer's salary could mm. be something three people could live off of in los angeles we were like what happens if we get finally get this offer the dream job and we can't take it because we can't live off of that money wow yeah it's that bad so um i'm really glad that they're doing this because they deserve better and they're doing it for them and for us and and they might make it an actual you know viable career for us in the future when we finally get in there yeah for sure i mean uh, i would like yeah, to hopefully i have ideas as well i would love to to write or direct eventually and it's a lot of times it just seems like i i'm so far away from there i mean you're you seem like you're close you're working towards it and that's great and then the idea that it could just be ripped away from you because it's not actually livable and meanwhile all of us love to watch and and consume all of this media and it's like it has to come from somewhere and yeah. we all are supportive of that why don't we just support you know the people that are creating it so yeah there there were people that that have worked on on shows that just had to leave and give up on the career because they couldn't survive i think it was there was a writer from the bear who was nominated for an emmy and when mm. they got that nomination they were working retail 
uh, and not oh, being wow. able to pay their bills because they couldn't find another writing job Damn. because the rooms are so small and they have to they have to live somehow. And so, yeah, they got the news when they were like folding a pair of jeans or whatever in, in a store. And I, it just blows your mind. It's it's I mean, I think a lot of the country has this idea in their head of like, you know, the quote unquote Hollywood elite and everybody's rich and nobody's rich out here. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the studio heads are rich. And right. there are some writers, you know, like the, the few everyone knows of, like Aaron Sorkin. Yes, he's filthy rich and super successful, but he is like less than 1% of the 20,000 writers working in Hollywood. Most of right. them are, mm-hmm. you know, very working class. Uh, right now, if you staffed on one show and you didn't get another gig for a year, you'd be making below the federal poverty wage. And that happens wow. for so many staff writers because it's so hard to get that next job because the size of the rooms has shrunk so much and you don't get the residuals to live off of. So it's, it's becoming, yeah, an untenable thing. And it's, it's not just writers either. It's happening industry-wide. Um, mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA and the Directors Guild both have their negotiations coming up in the next few months and they're oh, okay. fighting for the same things. <laughs> and so you may, in, in the next four to eight weeks, you may see the entire entirety of Hollywood on strike because it's not a livable wow. career for anybody anymore, except for those at the very top. And yeah, and when they're making billions and billions of dollars off of this, right. it's ludicrous. I mean, like, I saw that the the totality of what the WGA is asking for to cover it was it's either ten or twenty thousand all of the working writers for the next three years of the contract would be six hundred million dollars, and that is mm-hmm. less than two percent of what the studios made last year, and they don't want right, to give yeah. it to us. Mm-hmm. And like the week the strike started, the studio's uh, stock prices fell and they lost over $2 billion. And like, it's so much cheaper to just right. to people <laughs> making the stuff you're making billions off of, you would have saved money, but they don't want to, they don't yeah. want to do that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a mess. It's a big mess. I mean, there's a, a lot to touch on there, right? Like the, the 2% thing blew my mind. It's like, really? They're, they're fighting so hard and they just want 2%. That seems like something where the studio heads would get together and be like, yeah, sure. Take two and a half, you know, that's, that's a drop get in the off, bucket. Get for out of our us. heads. Yeah. Just like leave us alone. Then, but yeah. yeah. It's just such pure greed yeah. on display and it's, it's wildly disheartening. Um, I, you know, we really don't know what these stats are like the hard numbers are for like netflix shows we just hear oh it didn't do well enough so it got canceled after one season or whatever or this is the highest rated show on netflix but like we don't know it's just like what we hear via press release or whatever and then there's i heard that um was it the the last of us that that hbo max tv show uh had only one writer he was like the 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 only guy that wrote every episode of that show which is an adaptation from a video game that i assume had several writers on staff or whatever when i first heard that i was like oh i guess that's kind of cool that it's just like one guy writing this or adapting it and then somebody mentioned yeah like there's probably like eight or nine other writers that could be in a writing room getting paid getting benefits all of this stuff i was like oh yeah that's kind of fucked up that they don't spread the wealth a little bit like that you know yeah well it's, it's that um, but it's also then yeah. if if lower level writers aren't in that room they're not learning the skills to become the higher level mm. writers later that the studios need to run mm. shows and they're not going to exist 10 years from now they're not going to have any showrunners because they're not letting writers learn and move up to become showrunners and the other issue with it of mm. course is that if you only have one or two people writing every episode you're only getting their perspectives 
So like The Last of Us is written, uh, the showrunner is a white cis man. And I think there was one other person who wrote some episodes, but he was the guy who was the lead writer from the game. And he is also, I believe, a cis white man. And so what you're getting are two cis white male perspectives. Now, how different would the stories be if you had some black people in that room, if you had disabled people in that room, if you had trans people in that room, the, the breadth of experience, life experience, and what life is like for different people is missing in those shows. So they're not as authentic to the real human experience as they could be. Um, you're not getting those perspectives. Th- those voices aren't getting through uh, into the final product, which homogenizes what the country sees and the kinds of stories that you're used to and the kinds that you're exposed to. And that systemically keeps out the more marginalized voices as well. And then, so you're not you're not being able to get your stories out there and get them told in that way. And that can be really harmful. Like there are so many problems with trans representation in the media because most of it is done by cis people. And even if they're not transphobic on the surface or not setting out to hurt trans people, most of the time, trans characters in shows end up victims of violence or sex offenders or the butts of jokes. They don't get to be real people who get character arcs and stories like like the cis characters do. And that's a problem because then that's how most of the country sees you. That's how they interpret you. That's how they think you are. So it's, it's a big problem because art has a power to change people, right? Like one of my favorite things is there, sure. there's a story about it and I can't remember where it ran now, but if you if you do a search, you'll find it. And it was about how the show Modern Family changed in a noticeable way, the country's acceptance of marriage equality, because it presented two gay men in a loving, normal relationship as regular characters on the show. And they were just people who happened to be two gay men, right? And you Mm -hmm. could see they did polls over the course of the show because the show was so popular that as it went on, the acceptance numbers rose and rose every year until, and then, you know, that spurred on the, the Supreme Court case, which finally uh, gave us the marriage equality that now they're trying to take away. But um, art has that power just by being authentic to who these marginalized people really are. And so cutting that out of your stories and not making room for it is is a problem in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, another issue I know that the, the Writers Guild is having is, I guess the studios are wanting to include more and more AI in the writing process and the creation of tv shows and whatnot and i can't imagine that having an ai uh i know it can like search the internet and like just come up with shit or whatever but it's not going to inherently include life experiences of marginalized communities and whatnot um how do you feel about ai tilly um i think it's uh a mess i think there there's a possibility in the future that some people might be able to use it as a tool, but I'm not sure that it's mm-hmm. there yet, and I'm not sure it should be, because um, all that they're doing right now, like ChatGPT and these other AI bots, is plagiarizing. They search the net, they mm-hmm. find stuff that they think is the answer to what you asked them, and then they present it. And it's not their own words, it's somebody, it's a human's words that they've taken and reshaped and combined with other human's words. It's all plagiarized stuff. And that mm-hmm. makes it really problematic and it cuts real human writers out of the process. And yeah, you're not going to get the real lived experience. It can't tell you what it's like to exist as a trans person in this world. It can 
find my writing and the writing of five other trans people and give you a conglomeration of it, but that's not real human experience. Um, and the studios are always looking to cut corners as much as they can. And that's that's one mm -hmm. of the big issues now, because if they do that, we'll, we'll never get it back. And um, our art will all become, you know, devoid of, of soul and emotion. So it's not, it's, I don't, I don't know if there if there will ever be a point where it could be a useful tool in a writer's arsenal, maybe, but I don't I don't think it needs to be. We've we've humans have been writing for thousands of years, right? We don't we don't need a, a bot to do that for us. What we need is 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 AI to do the dangerous jobs that humans shouldn't have to do, mm -hmm. so that we're all free to create the art and and Ooh, I love that. whatever and express ourselves, right? So it's it's a little backwards, mm -hmm. but that's capitalism for you. <laughs> yeah it's like hey ai here's a hard hat get up on that building i'm gonna spend some time down here and create a cool story that sounds great <laughs> the the robot mistakes it it's like blot out the sky mm, <laughs> got it it's like oh fuck shit <laughs> we've done it again i find it interesting because ai is trained on human art yeah. to create to like regurgitate this other stuff and, and much like you were saying tilly about not having the writers on set or in those rooms so that they can learn to become the showrunners of the future i have this weird idea that if we keep if we do start using or, or start using ai more it's just going to filter out the human experience over time and it's going to become gibberish eventually or or i don't know it, it might even be good it might sound like a human better and better but it's not going to have that heart and soul and eventually there it won't have anything else to train on because it's it's if they use it that way it'll cut the people out so i agree that it could be a tool in the future but i just don't know how it's going to be utilized and it, it's it's a scary time right now i feel with ai mm -hmm. yeah I saw, it's affecting a lot of industries um i think it was a, a journalist or some kind of like scientific writer saying that uh somebody had asked one of these bots for a bio of them and it gave them the name of a paper that sounded like something that that writer could have written, but it didn't exist. They just mm. looked at their titles and were like, oh, this is the kind of things. Here's what something they might have, but presented it as this is an official paper that this person wrote. And it's about this topic. And, and wow. all of that was lies. It just because it doesn't think it's just right. uh, it's just a bunch of algorithms that grab the info that it thinks you want and then represents it to you. They're not. Mm. AI is very, very. Uh, it's 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 a misnomer. There's no intelligence mm. there at this stage. You know, it's just it's just code running predictive algorithms, and that's it. So it doesn't actually think. There's no intelligence in there, mm. and it's yeah, it's it's a mess. It's it's kind of a nightmare. Well, I can confirm that for you. I've seen that second Space Jam movie where Don Cheadle plays <laughs> algorithm, and uh, yeah, did that feel like it was written AI. by AI? <laughs> that, that movie. <laughs> AI wearing a dunce cap is what that that movie was. It was a it was a mess. I, I avoided it because you said it that way. But uh, mm -hmm. oh, we should watch it for the show. I guess so. We do a lot of stunt watching. We we'll, we'll swap that out for Daddy's Home too. It'll be okay. Fun. That's better. That's better. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention Tilly that last time on the show I had asked about uh, getting in, more into the Matrix, which is uh, the goal for having you on and your and your book coming out. Um, you had mentioned something about uh, Lily Wachowski had said in, in a documentary, and, it, and you were right, it was on Netflix, it's called Disclosure. It mm -hmm. appears it's a documentary about the trans experience and, and pop culture, and I guess in the world, I haven't seen it yet, but I did find a clip where uh, Lily did confirm it was a trans allegory, and I found it really interesting. Uh, I'll paraphrase here, but she had said... 
Um, she didn't know how present her transness was in the background of her brain as they were writing it, but it all came from the same kind of fire that created the story of the Matrix. She goes on to say she and Lana existed in a space where the trans words didn't exist yet, so they were always living in a world of imagination. That's why they created these sci-fi things. And I was curious for you, uh, you were a writer and you're into sci-fi and everything. I had wondered if you had also felt that same experience. You, you're kind of looking for a world that's maybe better than ours, or you're trying to look for language. Uh, or if in general you just like sci-fi and like writing and it had nothing to do with that. Do you find any connection throughout time with your, your transness in writing? Um, yes, I do. I mean, I've always liked sci-fi. I like it just in, in general, sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, it's where I feel most at home. But it's definitely also uh, part of the trans thing because I've looked back at my own writing and now I can tell you that some of it was very clearly about my transness. But at the time, mm. I could not have told you that. I didn't know that's what I was writing about. I was just exploring these weird, complicated feelings that I had and didn't have the words to explain because nobody told Fascinating. me that you could be trans. I didn't know trans was a thing that existed or that there was a word for it that was all kept from me when I was growing up. And so I didn't understand why I felt the way I did or what was going on with, with my whole existence. And so I look at that writing now and in multiple, multiple pieces of my own sci-fi and fantasy writing, there are people who, for mysterious sci-fi reasons, swap bodies. And, oh, no, now this guy is in a woman's <laughs> body. And what is that like? And it it's mm. in, like, multiple pieces. And if you had asked me at the time, were you, are you writing about trans stuff? I would have been like, no, because I'm not. But I am, and I was. Wow. I just didn't know it at the time. And I think that holds true for a whole lot of trans people and very possibly also the Wachowskis in that they had all of these feelings and complicated thoughts about the world and what it's like to exist as trans within it. And they were just exploring what that was, even if they didn't necessarily have a name for it at the time. And I think like when you read the book, you can see that some of the evidence for the trans allegories is very empirical. It's very surface level. You're like, this could not have happened if they didn't choose it to be this way. They knew what they were doing with this particular thing. But I think also a lot of it was probably subconscious that they weren't even mm. necessarily aware of parts of it at the time, because again, you don't know, you're just, you're just using this fantastical world to tell a very human story about what life is like for you. And if you're trans, that's going to end up being a trans story, even if you don't know it at the time. I mean, at the time, I think they knew that they were trans. They were just deeply closeted, I believe is what Lily yeah. said. So, um, but, like that, yeah. you know, in the late 90s, you trans rep was was impossible to find. And if they were out as trans or if if they even surface level went to Warner Brothers and said, we want to tell a trans story, those movies would have never been made. They, those movies don't totally. get made now. Right. How many stories do you know by trans people, starring trans people, about trans people that come out? There's so few, almost none. And they're when they do, they're like indie movies. So right. it's 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 a it's a really complicated thing. But um I think we're always every writer, every creator of any kind is always exploring, you know, parts of themselves, and you don't always know exactly what those are at the time. You sort of discover I them as you go sometimes, or or years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that fascinating listening to her because it seemed like you're saying like they did know on some levels and on others they totally didn't. But looking back, they recognize all of those things. They kind of did sneak in there. And uh, it made me think also like from our last conversation that you had said, Tilly, that like a trans person has always been 
that trans person, like whatever they're going to transition into, that has always been inside yeah. and they might not have even known it either. And I find the the human mind just fascinating, but the fact that that can seep its way into writing and all these, you know, this huge blockbusters that people love, um, even for the creators themselves to not realize all of those, but then later on they go back and, and realize it and confirm like, yeah, that's all there. And we were feeling those feelings. We just didn't have the words to say it. I think it's yeah. just so interesting. It, you know, it's interesting because it, it happens with every aspect of human existence. And it's it's a well-known thing among writers. If you talk to a lot of them, um, a lot, so many will tell you that, oh, I didn't discover what the story was about until I finished it. And once it's oh, okay. done, you look at it when you're like going to start revisions or whatever. And you're like, oh, crap, look, there's a theme here that I didn't subconsciously know was there. <laughs> I subconsciously put it in. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm working through. This is the heart of the story. And you didn't even know it was in there until after you you were finished and mm -hmm. could see it. That's how our, our subconscious works, right? We're always working through these things. And so um, any kind of art acting, directing, writing, you know, painting and sculpting, there's something inside you that needs to get out or that you need to figure out or that you're working on something you have to say. And um, sometimes you just explore those feelings. And that's how you learn what that is that you're actually saying. That's beautiful. I've been writing some things mm -hmm. in my spare time, just trying to be more creative lately. And uh, a lot of them take place in my youth, like in my my previous job, I, my first job was like a video store clerk. And like, there's just like fun things to explore with that. But uh, I, I wonder as I write it, like, why I'm, why does this story come to me right now? What am I trying to work through as well? So yeah, uh, exactly. that'll be intriguing for me as, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. Brent, did you have any other questions? Uh, yeah. Until you had mentioned you have a, a kid, do you find it difficult to learn young people's slang? Like, is there a... <laughs> a one-to-one -one for you on or does your brain have to do a translation <laughs> of oh they're saying this this means this to me in my generation do you ever run into that um it's a little bit of both i think a lot of it mm -hmm. now i don't have to deal with it as much because our kid is uh at that age where we're his parents and so we are deeply uncool and so therefore <laughs> he will talk to us as little as possible so um yeah. you know when they hit that age uh they're supposed to feel that way about you. That's normal. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think a little bit. It, it is fascinating to see how the culture changes, though, with each new generation mm -hmm. and how they develop their own uh, slang and their own shortcuts to language. And and now with uh, the Internet is, is so prevalent and so many uh, kids are growing up with it that they have their own meme cultures and they have their own, you know, it's it's fascinating. I was I was really surprised to discover that like trans people have their own meme culture. There's all these trans memes that we think are absolutely hilarious and cis people would be so confused. <laughs> you wouldn't understand them at all. And it's fascinating because every little like subset of of humanity has its own little culture that that in-group understands, but the other people who are outside it don't if you aren't given a window into that world. And I think kids and teens are all just sort of the same way. They're their own little subgroup their own little subculture mm. within our culture and so they develop their own their own things like that and it can be um daunting at first to try to mm -hmm. find find the door to understand what's going on inside that house <laughs> right yeah i i used to work with some younger people and they used to say bet and something slaps all the time i'm like oh fuck let me open up my urban dictionary <laughs> app real quick yeah. and let me do an old man translation for this um Okay, I was just curious. Uh, neither Stephen nor I have uh, human children, so and our dogs uh, can't really talk. Come up for us. So yeah, I know. God damn it. 
What if you did technology. those little? I don't remember if those were the outtakes or in the beginning. But if you did those little buttons yeah, that the dogs yeah. dogs could talk, yeah. if you gave them mm-hmm. like newer slang, because you're like they're younger, so they need bet. So I got to put that out there, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, make it make it fit. I asked my dog, like, if this outfit looks good. And he's like, it slaps. I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to figure <laughs> out what this means. I still got to translate this shit. You know, th- <laughs> actually, this fuck. is really interesting because before when I mentioned uh, Mary Robinette Cole and her cat, uh, one of the words her cat has learned is litter box, which is it applies to the actual litter box. But she has discovered mm-hmm. in the cat using the buttons and when they talk that the cat has also decided that litter box is a swear word and she uses it when she's <laughs> mad or doesn't like something she's like that's litter box wow. when she gets mad and it's a wow. she, she invented her own like bullshit slang. yeah exactly wow and that's amazing that's it's awesome. it's it's such a fascinating thing I, I cannot recommend watching those videos enough it's it'll blow that's your mind super cool yeah steven is that is the episode title of this this one that's litter box it could be i think that might that's in the running for sure yeah yeah i'll jot that down i like (laughs) yeah my wife and i Uh, have started saying that to each other now just we we picked it up we picked up cat slime i love that's litter box (laughs) it's good too because you could use it in public right and like it's not really a swear word so you could use it in places exactly great that's yep. always handy in the toolbox. Um, so to, I know we're getting towards the end of our time here, so I definitely wanted to to hit on your book a little bit more. Um, yeah, I was curious with, you know, I had read through the Matrix threads that um, you had put out there about these movies. And yeah. as we were watching those movies, our, our friend Will Fish, who was a, a listener and a friend of ours, had uh, turned us on to those threads. And then that's how we got you on the show the first time. But I am no longer on Twitter. Um, once Musk took over, I, I gave it like a week and I, I finally just took off but i love that you you have a website he now. didn't live up to your expectations steven you really thought he was gonna go yeah you thought he was gonna do something bad and you're like oh okay i guess not yeah guess he's just gonna make this so much better so is that what he did i don't know i stay i avoid <laughs> I it mostly i was really on the twitters for a long time but i'm glad to say that uh tilly's trans tuesdays.com i believe is where you can find a lot of those and and yep. links to your podcast and stuff is that well is that right uh yeah um that TillysTransTuesdays.com has over a hundred of my essays about trans life and everything that has to do with with existing as trans. And there's a whole section on there um, for cis people about how to uh, about mm. cis allyship and how to be a good ally and what that all means. If you are interested or you just want to learn more about trans people, um, that is all there. And uh, the episodes that also are the essays that also have podcast episodes are linked to from there mm. as well. Um, so, and the podcast is also called Tilly's Trans Tuesdays, and you can find it on every podcasting service. So if you prefer to have it in audio, um, you can get that there. And I have a a different guest on each episode, different trans people talking about Mm -hmm. their experiences. Um, and I think it's really helping because, um, we're such a wide and varied group of people. We're not a monolith. And so it, it helps to really see that we all have such different experiences with things and different life experiences. And even our, our own transness is so different for each of us. So it's a really fascinating, um, and I hope educational thing to, um, to, to experience and just get to, to learn more about what it's like for this other group of people. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I really loved those threads and I like that there's a play, like a website you can go to now. Um, I was curious for the book, did you, just kind of take those threads and put them in book form. I assume you edited it after that, or did you kind of attack the book in a, in a, as a whole new light and try to rewrite everything? How did that work? Um, it's a little bit of both. If you've read the threads, um, what you'll find in the book is that it's a lot of the same material, but it's been revised and updated 
and uh, expanded upon um, in the, tw the Twitter threads and the other versions of the social media essays. I would link to past essays that were relevant about mm. a topic that I was discussing. And I can't do that in a book, but there sure. is more space in a book. So I had room to sort of give a brief explanation of what some of these things are that we're talking about, some of the more complex trans issues. Um, so there's that in there. There's, there are some new things that I noticed when going through the movies again that aren't in the threads that I talk about. And it has more of, um, I guess, more of a, a overall view from far away. Like I, I take them and sort of say, well, what is this entire movie saying? And what is this entire series saying when you put all of these movies together? So there's a little bit more uh, of that in there. Um, so it it still has, it still goes by timestamps. Um, and I still recommend that you watch cool. the movies as you read and pause it at the different timestamps to really look at what's on screen and what they're showing you and figure out what it means. Um, because a lot of the allegories are conveyed very visually. Um, so it does sure. do all of that still. And um, yeah, I think it's, um, I, I think the, the main reason to do it is that people who read books are an entirely different audience than people who are on social media or who are reading the online versions of, of things. And so I wanted to do it just to reach other people that it might be able to help because so many people said that the social media versions help them so much. And so I just wanted to get it in front of other people, but um, there's plenty in there for people who enjoyed the threads, uh, plenty of, of stuff. I think that it will be a, uh, a good and similar, but different experience than the threads were. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Tilly, I'm not what you would call a reader or a person who can read, uh, but I do like uh, reading your stuff on Twitter when it was there. Uh, and like, you know, I was conflicted, like, you know, obviously I want to support you and, and buy your book, but, you know, I was feeling some kind of way about it. But on the last episode, Stephen and I decided <laughs> that it's it's pretty much like reading tweets in yeah, pages. I tried to you know? yeah, get you on the board with that. Yeah. So, so we're fully on board. Both of us have pre-ordered your oh, book. Thank you, you so know, much. We're, we're very excited for its release. Very excited. Of yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get back to it. I haven't read those threads in a while, so it'd be nice to read mm -hmm. in book form. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about the Matrix recently, and I was like, it, it you know, it's like a, a big property. It's a big franchise, and I think the thing that's missing is there's not like a version of it for kids. There's not like a Saturday morning cartoon version of it for kids or oh, whatever. I love that. So. They should have a Matrix Kids, right? <laughs> they should do that. They have that Star Wars one. That's so the like new, uh, CGI animated. Have kids and they're yeah. animated. That, uh, does that work? Yeah, you know, start early. It could it could be bridge the gap. I don't know. Everything in there is that's pretty dark. I guess it's hopeful too. I do like the hopeful aspects of the Matrix. I I didn't rewatch any of those movies leading up to this conversation, but I I put mm -hmm. on um, Resurrections again. I watched about half of it. And uh, I hadn't watched it since, I guess, the last time we talked. Um, so it's been almost, you know, six, I don't know, six, eight months or so. And uh, it was still mm. refreshing. I like that movie. And uh, I'm excited to end it because it ends on a hopeful note again. But that that series yeah. does ride that that wave of kind of dystopia and harsh realities. Yeah, but like for kids. <laughs> It'd be fun. You can do a version of it. I guess if Transformers like is for little... kids, that's like a whole planet yeah, died. Of course. <laughs> they had they had a RoboCop like cartoon, you know, back in the day. That's one of those violent movies make of all work. time. Yeah, you're right. You could have like uh, the like non-human version, like Squiddy. Here's Squiddy. <laughs> you know, start riding a surfboard. It's pretty amazing. It'd be fun. Um, uh, yeah. 
uh, Tilly, I was going to say real quick, uh, I'm a, a big fan of your podcast. Been listening since day one. Thank you. And uh, for for our listeners who have not listened yet, I will say it is exceedingly bingeable. Uh, you yes. are not a psychopath like Stephen and I and do multi-hour <laughs> episodes. Uh, so you can really just like fly through them. They're like so interesting and funny and heartfelt. And uh, there's just a lot of good information. Uh, there's a lot of information that's put forth to cis allies like Stephen and myself and our listeners. And uh, yeah, I'm just so thankful that that's out there and uh, that you will uh, continue to do that for forever. I'm signing you up for that. <laughs> well, I better clear my schedule. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes, please <laughs> no, do. Thank you very much. It. That's very kind of you. Um, we try to keep it, you know, light and, and conversational and, and uh, funny, hopefully some of the time. Um, some of the topics can get kind of heavy, you know, but um, because... Mm-hmm existence for trans people is kind of rough at the moment but it's sure. um you know we right. we try to put good into the world we try to give people a little bit of hope and and to let people know uh whether you're trans or cis that you know you're never alone and even the stuff trans people go through isn't all that different from stuff cis people go through and i think we can all understand each other if we just you know keep an open mind and realize we're all human beings just trying to get through this life together damn straight exactly well said and and then your episodes come out every Tuesday, is that correct? Yes, it is. That's correct. Well, we put out our episodes on Tuesdays <laughs> as well. So isn't that a coincidence? Two-parter. So uh, to our listeners, please go find Tilly's Trans Tuesdays. I'll put a link to that in the show notes of this as well. I'm going to put a lot of links mm-hmm. in this uh, the show notes of this episode, this episode. So. so. What you do. Uh, Tilly, do you find that when you transitioned uh, to being a woman, you stopped reading show notes? Because we recently had this discussion with some of our <laughs> female friends, and uh, they don't ever pay attention to the show notes. You know what? No, I still read them, but I'm extra I'm okay. extra um, annoyed now because especially on Apple Podcasts, it does not turn uh-huh. links in show notes into actual links, and you can't copy and paste them either. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Oh, that's annoying. Right, it's they're they're the worst. Yeah. Oh, you can even copy and paste it. That's like the only way to bypass that. Then that's annoying. Jeez. <laughs> I think it was two years ago. I moved over to Overcast. I have not looked back. The show notes look so much better. The links work properly. Mm. It's just I I I can't go back. You know. Yeah, but your show is still that on helps. Apple Apple Podcasts, though, right? For people who are over there. Right. It sure yeah. is with the wrong cover art. So that's great. That's <laughs> yeah, really that's for us. Out for us. Apple won't even update our cover art anymore. We've tried multiple times and tried to talk to them and it just yeah. never does anything. So, no, they're, yeah. they, they're mm-hmm. the worst. They have no real customer support. It's right. Yeah, they're a nightmare to work with. That sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We kind of just put our stuff out there and then mostly they, it's like it just accepts it like to all these different types of platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but exactly. uh, a few we've had to work. Uh, Spotify keeps trying to uh, strike our content because... We'll, we'll throw in a little song snippet or something and talk about it, and they'll be like copyright strikes. Spotify is the only one that does that to us. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, we have issues with Apple mo- mostly. So it, It's so weird that Spotify is that picky about it because I just assume they're too busy not paying their artists uh, to even bother <laughs> right. checking that shit. Yeah, you, know? We, you know, we actually had to work for years to get all of our, our podcasting company shows on Spotify, and then mm. uh, we finally oh. got them on. And the whole thing with Joe Rogan happened and he's like Mm -hmm. super transphobic and people complain to Spotify about it. And they're like, well, we're going to stand by him and keep giving him $20 million a year to be a loud public transphobe. And so we said, well, okay, screw you. And so we pulled all of our shows off of Spotify because of that. And our listenership 
didn't drop any. We like put up a notice and said, hey, all of our shows are leaving Spotify in a week. So go to these other sites and mm. follow us there because we're going to be gone. And everyone seems to have actually done it. So that was uh, that's yeah. gratifying. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, that's, maybe we should do that, Stephen, because it's, I mean, it's only a pain in the ass. I don't know. That <laughs> <laughs> they email us like every two weeks about something. Uh-huh. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's our sign as well. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are dead to Joe Rogan, and I just I never understood it really in general. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, he's had some really problematic stances on a lot of things that I'm just like, yeah, I don't, he's I don't a big anti-vaxer too. So oh, there you go. Right. Like, yeah. I knew he was yeah, yeah kind of anti-COVID stuff, and yeah, yeah. just putting yeah. Some and people out there. have been like, well. You know, there are other transphobic or anti-vax uh, or racist podcasts that Spotify has. And we're like, yes, but those are just shows that Spotify carries. They're not paying the creator $20 million right. a year to spout this stuff. And they're, they're not super famous right. people with it that they're you're giving a giant platform to. And there's a big difference sure. between those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, plus, he looks like a, a big toe that's lost its nail. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that, right? Not to toe shame, but, you know, if it fits, it fits. Uh, I, yeah, I, wow. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect I don't response. know if that's good or bad, but okay. So, uh, begins transmission. The trans allegories of the matrix, your new books out for pre-order now, anywhere you get your books. Uh, I believe it is out on June 27th. Is that correct? That is correct. Oh, perfect. That's Very coming exciting. up soon now, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I feel like uh, going back to what you said about this readers being different, than you know, social media users. Um, I feel like a book form of this will be helpful for me to give people in my life that are not on social media as much. Like my parents, you yeah. know, wouldn't read those threads, whatever. Right. But they might read a book, and maybe we could discuss it. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, glad we we pre-ordered it so we can get it day one. And uh, I just mm-hmm. hope that it sells well and you do beautiful, amazing things like you continue to do. Thank you so much. You're both so wonderful and kind. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, Brent, did you have any other further questions? I don't believe so, Your Honor. (laughs) Case closed. (laughs) Well, uh, real quick, I'll say if you can rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps, that would be appreciated. Five stars is always appreciated. You can contact us through the show notes, all the info's in there if you want to read them or not. Uh, That's how you find us. And uh, please tell your friends so more people can find us. Tilly, it was wonderful to have you on again. We would love to have you on another time. And uh, just thanks for putting all this great info in the world and helping us to be better allies. Well, thank you yeah, for, thank you. for having me on and, and giving me a spot to talk about this stuff. And I would be delighted to come back anytime you'll have me. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. We'll see you next week. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you some time in between, but we appreciate that. Sure, sure. We have been, uh, we had a glitch the other week trying to record our Barbarian episode. We are working on a re-record of that with a new guest. So hopefully that all works out and that should be out the following Tuesday. So definitely come back for Barbarian. We'll get back into some of our our horror movies that we do. So uh, look forward to that. And yeah, until next time, I'm Steven. I'm Brent. And I'm Tilly. Let's talk later. question for the group here um so i was thinking the other day i was brushing my teeth in my bathroom and my little dog miles was looking at me and sometimes i just want to convey to him how much i love him you know but like i i guess i can like say those words to him but he doesn't really know like 
general like genuinely we like kind of get along and, and like each other but he doesn't know <laughs> the extent of how much i love him okay so i wish that like if i came across a genie's lamp that would certainly be one of my wishes is to like properly be able to communicate with animals that way we could just like tell them and they'd be like oh that's nice but like also like what if it's not reciprocated and he's just like oh Dude, we're not like there like i'm happy we're to roommates. have a roof over my head but you know like i yeah i thought we were just kind of cool also i just need to shit so if you let me outside that'd be great <laughs> um but also like if that were the case i was thinking we would really have to like break down a lot of misconceptions to animals like we'd have to go to lions and be like look i don't know how to tell you this but we humans consider you the kings of the jungle but you don't live in the jungle. I don't know how that got started. Right. I don't know where that rumor came from, but I just thought you should know. I think and you're assuming can... a lot that they speak English. Uh, well, I, I, I assume that whatever magic is used for the wish, mm. it would just communicate. It's kind of like in a sci-fi where there's aliens and whatnot. Uh, you just can works. just communicate like whatever language it is. There's like a translator of some sort or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um yeah you go you go to uh the to talk to a lion and it only speaks like whatever they speak in uh like german not in the jungle or whatever yeah. oh yeah, yeah i like that german, like, a german oh, lion. okay yeah it wouldn't expect like, that have, but yeah oh, have you seen hitler's artwork it's actually pretty good okay like this was a mistake i shouldn't <laughs> have come all the way out here for this uh that's insane uh so is your question you guys feel? yeah mm-hmm. how do yeah, we feel uh, about that yeah yeah, I guess there's. I said a bunch of words, and now I'm done talking and uh, panicking. So someone else talk. Well, for a while, I wondered I guess. for this, uh, Tilly. I would wonder. One of the questions for you in general, I don't know if we covered last week, is just a, a kind of get to know you thing. Is if you are a cat or a dog person? Um, both. I think I've I've had cats for That's longer nice. because we haven't been able to have them in the apartments we live in, and so by default, I think I've sort of fallen more on the cat side. But I'm a fan of both. I love I love them all. Brent, you like both cats and dogs, right? You've had both. Oh, I like I like almost every animal. I think there's like three animals that I think can just fuck right off, but uh, the the rest but of them cool. I think are, are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cats, dogs, they're great, you know. Because I I grew up with cats, but I had like devil cats, so I've never been a big fan of them. If I if I do find it, like you you had a a good cat, Brent, that that liked me and I liked it, and I would pet it and stuff. But um, I'm mostly a dog person, and and I certainly know mm-hmm. that I want to speak to my dog, and I do. Uh, and I don't know how much she understands. She did. Uh, I will say this morning, she definitely understood the word breakfast as different than like <laughs> okay. food or dinner. Like she got excited mm-hmm. for breakfast, you know, but um, if you could talk to all of them, I think it'd be nice. Uh, I have, you know, one dog right now and I feel like we're pretty good friends, but I honestly need to confirm that. <laughs> I Yeah, exactly. Right. You need that reciprocation of like, mm-hmm. do you just like me because I'm the only one you see regularly? Like because I'm the one who actually puts down your food for you or whatever it's i just need some type of confirmation i, I realize that's like a codependency issue but i'm like i kind of just want to know have you, you know? codependent on your dog yeah have you heard of um the buttons that you can use to teach your pets to talk mm. i've heard about yeah, this yeah they're cool. really fascinating i i follow uh, one of my friends is a sci-fi author mary robinette cole and she has taught her cat around 80 words i think and she posts videos on instagram all the time and there's one of my favorite things on the entire internet because you can see as you watch the videos over time that it is not chance this cat knows what the words mean 
and that's awesome. uh, really communicates things and it can be really poignant and sometimes it's really sad and sometimes it's hilarious and it seems like they have a sort of like toddler level intelligence and so mm. it's really it's really fascinating stuff so um you could if you if you have the space right. to put these, these button boards down and the patience you to your, your, your dog you could find yeah. out what your dog thinks of you but yeah who knows if you'd like the answer right so <laughs> yeah don't get don't give him the buttons you know yeah. I have a feeling due to my self-loathing, it would just be like all negative connotation things. And it just hurts my feelings every time I see him or whatever. Oh, I'm sure um, your dog I, loves you. I bet. Thank I've, you. I've met Brent's dogs and, and I've seen you with pets and you are very mm -hmm. gentle and kind. And I think that they see you that way as well. Well, yeah. Every time you come over, I, I roll over <laughs> and make you scratch my belly for a while. Yeah, that's I get very bet. excited. Yeah. I pee on myself. It's a whole thing. Right. Uh, I wear diapers now, so that's fine. That's but uh, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with this meme that I saw maybe a year ago that said uh, sharks don't know that camels exist. And <laughs> like another thing, like if 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 you were to able to accurately communicate with these animals to like go to the desert and speak with a camel, it'd be like, look, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but. Uh, in in the ocean we've got what's the ocean oh fuck uh we're really gonna have to like backtrack here uh there's huge bodies of water what's water okay all right this is not going well but you like smash cut to just telling them about these giant fish uh that have massive teeth and just want to uh eat animals or whatever and i don't know if they would believe you like why they would have no concept of any of that stuff you know it's just so so crazy that we are aware of these animals, but they have no idea that this other thing is on the planet. That's kind of amazing, actually, yeah, that you think about it. Mm -hmm. I never thought so much that they don't know about each other, and we know about all of them. And I feel mm -hmm. like, do you know that scene, do you remember in The Simpsons years ago, there was a scene where they're like, Homer's going to witness protection, and he's supposed to change his name, and they're like, when I say, hi, Mr. Thompson, <laughs> and I step on your foot, you say hi, and he like can't get it. I feel like that would be the scenario. Either way, it might just be you, Brent, doing that mm -hmm. to the animals, and they're like trying to communicate, or you trying to get them to communicate, and you're like, the basic concepts would be uh, very difficult. Well, maybe like animal pen pals is something that we need Ooh. to start, you know, somebody could take that to shark tank. And, oh, what's a shark? Oh, it's like a giant <laughs> fish. Oh, fuck. Here we go again. God damn it. Um, did we come up with a sync word? Animal pen pals. I think it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Animal pen pals. Okay. So, uh, Tilly, uh, I'm going to count up to three and then we'll all say animal pen pals to sync our audio tracks. It's a dumb thing we do here. I'm sorry. It's not necessary, uh, but it's we're fun. putting you through this. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, animal pen pals to sync on three. One, two, three. Animal, animal pen, pen pals. All right. Excellent. That's like one of the more wholesome. It's pretty good. Had. It could have gone yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot worse a lot of other ways. Yeah. L P A S.